This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is another game week, East Carolina, one and one, preparing to host the Camel Fighting Camels from the FCS ranks, the Big South Conference. They are also one on one. We'll touch briefly on Campbell a little bit later in the podcast. We're going to take a look back at the Old Dominion game and also talk about some early season headlines. And to do that, I am joined by Jason Tyndall. You guys know him as Pirate Backer on the Hoisty Colors website, also a former coach in the high school ranks in the state of North Carolina. Jason, welcome back into the podcast. You've been on a few times now. You're starting to become a regular, man. Hey, thanks for having me, uh, Stephen. Obviously, it's uh, anytime we get a chance to get together and talk about pirate football, it's, it's a good time. So I'm um, just excited about you know, the game coming up this weekend and, and, you know, talking about what we've seen in the first two games with you and, and sharing it with our, our you know, our, our great folks that we all uh, enjoy on HTC as well. Yeah, they're all level-headed. They're all great. They never overreact to anything. So <laughs> we're going to we're gonna talk about some maybe some big-picture items as we head into Campbell. Uh, but but one of the first talk about the ODU game, you know, I've given my take on it, the Pirates win. 39-21, just you're uh, interested in your perspective, Jason, as we look back at, at the win over ODU, much-needed win to get the one-on-one. Just what were some of your big takeaways from that game? Well, number one, you have to look at the domination from time of possession. Anytime you hold the ball in, in, in Division One football for 40 minutes, uh, even when you don't come away from scores, you, you really just break the will of the team. Um, I was super excited to see uh, Jalen Johnson break out. That, that provides another dynamic. I'm sure we'll probably hit on that here shortly. Um, you know, defensively, um, not to get ahead of the conversation here, but we're we're pretty daggone good up front. And um, I, I got a chance to be close to the warm-ups and pregame and watching Coach Tesh work with the inside DL and the technique and the speed he has them operating with and how easy it looks. Uh you know, I just hate to say it. It's it's night and day from six years ago, three years ago, four years ago. I mean, maybe even Coach Russ last year. I mean, they're just uh, a lead up front, and there's there's a whole uh, barn yard full of them. So it, it's really interesting. The, other, the one piece that bugged me as much as anything else, though, in the game was uh, just just some. Uh, you know, Coach Houston does a good job of making sure you recap the game and move to the next game because it is one week at a time, but uh, just some of the fundamental breakdowns and coverage at times 
Uh, although they have an elite receiver, I think we gave up, as he said, some cheap ones. Um, and I would like to see us put a mo couple more uh, scores on the board because uh, we really did dominate a, a, a really good ODU team. I thought it was interesting that Coach Houston kind of made it a point to say how frustrated he was. And he's a defensive coach, and I think he's coached safeties a lot, and he knows the defensive backfield. You just can't give up. I mean, really, Ali Jennings, great receiver, but, I mean, four or five of his big catches were simply just breakdowns. Like, they weren't even, like, contested balls. So, that's what frustrates you, and we'll get into maybe some of that as we go forward, Jason. But I, I want to talk big picture with you. ECU at one and one and I think realistically – most people expected East Carolina to be one-on-one. I mean, I think clearly most were hoping for an upset over NC State and it probably should have happened. It didn't happen. And I just want to ask, you know, and I'll give my take on it as well, along with yourself. You know, the first two games, probably where we thought EC would be record-wise, but based on what we've seen, I want to know, can this team maybe be even better than we initially thought? We all had high hopes, but is the ceiling of this team maybe higher than what we thought, or, or do we still need to see more before we can make that proclamation? So I'm going to back up a little bit to the spring. Um, my dad and I went – my dad was a longtime high school coach and, you know, has been around a game for – you know, he was a coach for 40-some years, uh, much like Brett's dad. Uh, I turned to my dad about two series into that – spring scrimmage and said, we might be elite on defense. Um, you know, not necessarily all six, four, but just as far as when the ball moved, there was multiple purple hats there. And so uh, the second point is, and, and we're actually, we're a better football team in NC state right now. Um, if you go back and really look at the game and look at the, um, you know, the most important thing is the scoreboard, but, for the most part, outside of a couple of drives in the block punt, we dominated that football game from a physicality standpoint. And anybody who wants to argue that, they just need to look at Dave Dorn's face as he's, you know, pouting as he's going through the buses or going into the locker room at the end of the game. Um, and, and then we came out against an ODU team that really – I told my buddy riding down there and his wife that I was really nervous about this game. I said, these guys are pretty good. They've got a lot of talent, and they're they're – you know, they came, they reeled in at the end of the year and had those big wins. And we physically pounded them starting with the first drive. Now, granted, we came away with three instead of seven there, but, you know, Coach Houston, I know after a 17 play drive, is not excited about not scoring seven because at that point, you start breaking the psyche of the whole program on that visitor sideline. Um, I, I feel like we have a chance and, and I'm superstitious. So I don't like to say too many things, but we have a chance to be. Really excited in November in Greenville. Yeah, you know, when we were talking preseason, Jason, I was just like, like part of me in my mind wanted to say this was a team that could compete for a conference championship. But realistically, I think I felt like they were still a year away. But I, and again, I'm not trying to overreact. Like that's what we do sometimes early in the season. But I feel like if certain things go right, if this team stays healthy, they clean, clean up special teams, which we'll probably get to naturally in this conversation. I just feel like there's enough pieces there. And I, I think a lot of it for me comes down to the offense. Like we, we, we heard so much about the receivers coming in as transfers, but until you see them actually do it on game day, that's when 
that's when the you know the 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 switch flips for me. So to see those guys actually go out and produce against good defenses, um, I think it's that to me takes the offense to the next level. And now I think that they're a complete unit if the offense stay, offensive line stays healthy. Defensively, I knew they were going to be very good. They look very good. That's not a surprise to me. Um, and now for me, it just comes down to special teams. Can they clean that up? And then, too, if you're going to have a special season, Jason, you know this as well as anybody as a coach, you got to get a little lucky. You got to, you know, unfortunately in the opener, it didn't go in that direction with the missed kick. But that's not to say that ECU still can't have a 8-9-10 win season. Some of that comes down to luck, health, and other factors. But I do think the ceiling for this team, at least for me, is a little higher than I initially thought. Yeah, you look at you mentioned something, the word health there. And, you know, I don't know about last year, but two years ago, and probably last year as well, when when somebody who went down who's in the you know the top 22, you start having concerns. Like who who's is the person behind them developed enough and been in the program enough? When when Dante Johnson went down, and I hope he comes back sometime this season. I don't know the extent of his injury. And you know, shame on me for not following up on that. But I didn't even flinch. I just hey, they're rolling the next one in. And the same thing when when you look at your receiving corps, and Shane Calhoun is somewhere down in like number seven right now in productivity. Although he's done a lot of little things that that the average fan probably doesn't notice during the game. Uh, you're pretty deep. Um, and I will say what's really cool to me is if you look at the stats, which are, you know, sometimes can be misleading as well, but you are who you are. Jalen Johnson's got 11 catches. Isaiah Winstead has 11 catches. And anytime that we come off the sideline and we line up, we look like a ACC caliber team across the board on offense. Um, so they're, they're you know, I don't. I don't really see a weakness right now outside of, like you said, the special teams uh, scenario. So, super excited about what the progress can be, and as you said, stay stay lucky. And we've got that tough road uh, that we don't need to jump ahead of. But late in the year, and we've got those road games at BYU, at Cincinnati. We're playing UCF. We're playing Houston. All kind of right there in Murderers Row. We'll find out how tough we are at that point. Yeah, there's no doubt. And you mentioned, uh, you know, it's kind of dawned on me when you mentioned in the past when like a couple key guys go down, that's like a death sentence. You know, you just look at the offensive and defensive line. Rick DeBrew, who is probably your best defensive lineman in 2020, he hasn't played through two games. And we're talking about how deep the defensive line is. Uh, Your left tackle, Bailey Malovic, hasn't played in two games. Your starting left tackle. There's not many programs in the American, I think, that could still operate at a high level with those two pieces out, you know, we'll see going forward what the status of those guys is, but all of a sudden you're at a point with this program where maybe those two guys being out isn't the end of the world. And you can finally say, Hey, you know, whether it's discipline or obviously unfortunate situations, whatever, like you don't have to rely on just one, two players, even CJ Johnson. You know, we looked at him as again, in 2020, he was a main guy. Now he's not just another guy, but he's another piece and if you have to play without him, you can survive. And I think that's what we're seeing. We finally have that depth on this ECU football team that can withstand so many of those uh, previous losses. So that, that's a great point for sure, uh, Jason. Um, wanted to hit a few different topics as we move forward in this podcast. And um, we'll start with a, a couple of, of talking points. And I want to say, again, two games in, this is a small sample size, two out of 12 games. 
but I wanted to get first your biggest surprise two games in. Jason, do you have one? Uh, I guess we'll go good surprise if you have one because our next topic will be biggest area of concern. Uh, but do you have a good surprise two games in? Well, really, it's a combination of, of you know, going back to my coaching days and, and on some of the other podcasts I've mentioned this, there's four things that I always preach to our, our, our assistant coaches, the program, the parents, the players. If you take care of these four things, you – obviously drastically increase your chances of winning the football game. And right now we're converting, you know, 53% on third down where opponents are right around uh, 24%. So that right there is a huge swing. So that, that surprise is, is it's a combination of both the efficiency of the offense and that money down and the efficiency of our defense of getting off the field, which is a carryover from last year. Cause I believe we were top 10 in the country in third down efficiency. Um, the other piece is, you look at some guys like Chad Stevens, Miles Berry, uh, even Edwards, the kid that, 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 you know, transferred in from Georgia Southern. And, and you just start watching these folks and you look at the depth at safety. Um, it, we just, we're just becoming really tough to move the ball on. It's going to be hard for somebody to drive the field and score consist- consistently against us if we don't, you know, create our own uh, errors. Um, and, and, you know, put ourselves in bad situations. I will say this. Um, offensively, if you watch Holton Aylers operate now, he just looks like he's so calm and just gets it. And, that, and that's all that experience. And he just seems to be operating at a high level. Hopefully he can stay healthy and keep that up because it, it to me it creates a, uh, a dimension where as a defense coordinator – you're actually competing against Donnie Kirkpatrick and Holt Naylor's, but then you look at the the weapons he has across the board, and our offensive line has done a really good job right now. And you know they've given up four sacks in two games. They give up four to ODU, none to State. So if you think about that, they're averaging two sacks a game. The last seven years, I would have cut off my kneecap to say we're only giving up two sacks a game. So those are probably my biggest surprises so far in, in a positive manner. Yeah, and I think too. You know, I feel like offensive line pass protection for me is a is a surprise. Again, that's something we've harped on for years. Hey, this team has got to get better in pass pro. I feel like they have, and and they had a few breakdowns for sure against ODU, but three of those four sacks came on the one drive, and somehow the Pirates still overcame that and scored a touchdown. So, I mean, in reality, that kind of shows you how how good this offense can be. The other one, I you know, I kind of touched on earlier, but the receivers. Like when you go from just maybe relying on CJ Johnson and the tight ends to finally having like three legitimate receivers. I mean, we knew Isaiah Winstead would kind of be that guy because of his production, but I don't think we knew Jalen Johnson would go out and catch nine balls for 93 yards on 12 targets. I mean, that is a big time stat line. Uh, caught every catchable ball his way. And now if you're Campbell, if you're Navy, you're watching this game film and you're like, who the hell do we double? You know, we take away CJ Johnson. They then they have one-on-one with Winstead and Jalen Johnson. You got the tight ends, you got the the running backs. Um, there's just a lot to account for. And so yeah, I'll tell you what, and and something I didn't write down on our on our podcast sheet, but I do want to talk about on our our second half of the show, Jason, is the return of Josiah Hatfield. That'll just give you another weapon. Uh, and we'll talk about how to maybe incorporate him in. 
going forward. Uh, but conversely, uh, before we take our first break, biggest area of concern two games in, I mean, I feel like this one's kind of self-explanatory, but uh, biggest areas of concern for you? Yeah, it goes back to the stand. Uh, you are who you are. Um, I mean, quite frankly, I'm not going to sugarcoat the donut here. Uh, we've looked pedestrian in our kick operation, uh, what, I don't know, whether it's PAT or field goal, and uh, inexcusable. It's, it's JV football. It, the fact that we're not able to protect as, be, as well as we are up front right now it's an effort thing, and I believe Coach – I not believe. I know Coach Houston will fix this. Um, I feel bad for Owen Daffer because I feel like he's taken the, the, a lot of the heat. Granted, our fans responded last week in a way that uh, – I hope it built the young man's self-confidence up that we all have his back, but it's inexcusable. I mean, I didn't have two block PATs in 13 years of being a head coach combined. That's JV games and varsity games. So to see it happen in one night or see those kicks getting blocked like that is it's inexcusable. And um, somebody's got, you know, the, the whole unit's got to be held accountable. And it's something that we cannot continue to go down the path because that's the fourth, not in the ranking, but that's the fourth dimension of the four pillars of don't do anything stupid in the kicking game. And I felt like uh, – I feel like um, Malik has done a really good job fielding the punts and stuff, so we're not giving up the cheap yards on that. And the other piece is um, I love Luke Larson, but we cannot continue averaging 35 yards a punt when our opponents are averaging right about 42. That that plus seven each time in their favor uh, is going to bite us in the butt again. And and that I feel like our punting operation looked better the other night, but just we've, we've got to get that extra seven or eight yards per kick on average. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if – we talked about earlier how high the ceiling of this team is. Well, part of that ceiling for me is they they not only have to fix special teams, but they have to get a lot better at it. You know, you have to start making some winning plays on special teams because I still don't think ECU's at the point where they can just be average on special teams and have a 9-10 win season. Like, at some point, you have to go from losing a game because of special teams to winning a game because of special teams. And, um you know, Owen Dafford won a game last year on special teams, even though they, they did give up a kick return for touchdown in that same game. But still, like at some point, you just have to to flip that switch as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just that's the obvious concern. You know, we've we've hit on that a lot. I, you know, for 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 me, the other concern at this point is is the health, uh, specifically of Holt Naylor's. You know, I just worry about that shoulder taking a beating. I know this is non throwing shoulder, but you know, they got to find a way to keep him healthy because you mentioned it. We're only two games in. He's already banged up. He's getting treatment, and that's your star quarterback. And he's playing at the highest level I've seen him play right now. So uh, you got to stay healthy at key spots. Um, and then, to the offensive line, the run blocking, you know, early in games has been a little bit of a concern. The good news is they've ran it late in games, but, you know, want to see better execution early in games. Just your thought on, on maybe those points, Jason. Yeah, obviously, um, Holton – my preseason uh, recommendation was eight eight runs a game. He's averaging seven runs a game right now, and he, he's doing just enough in the run game, even being injured, to uh, make it 11 on 11. Um, the offensive line piece, I'm, I might be a little old school with this. I'm, I'm not as concerned about that because, especially early in the season, with, with different defensive line personnel, new coordinators, this, that, and other, and you've got new film, it's harder to have that great scout 
you know, the, we know hundred percent our scout team needs to be in these fronts, these stunts, these movements. And, and, and we have adjusted, we haven't freaked out and we've got enough players. We play enough players. Um, I feel like some of the transfers are going to help us there. Obviously red is, is to me, looks, he looks what an offensive lineman is supposed to look like at least. And he, he seems to be doing a pretty good job being out on the island on, at left tackle. Um, the, the, the big, the elephant in the room, though, is can't, you know, hopefully we can keep Holton healthy because I truly believe, although the fanatics want to start somebody else against Navy, uh, excuse me, Campbell, which I think is ludicrous. Um, but, you know, ideally we get enough of a lead in that game and we can start resting him and let other, other folks get snaps. But, I mean, the guy just has command of our program right now, bottom line. I mean, he's the guy. There's no doubt about it. And he just carries himself that way. He looks like a senior, you know, fifth-year senior player. He looks like a four-year starter. And he looks like a champion, in my opinion. We are visiting with Jason Tindall, breaking down the first two games of the season for East Carolina's football team. On the other side, we'll dive more into some of our headlines from the first two games of the year. And we'll talk about the return of Josiah Hatfield, what he means to the offense going forward. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Everyone is talking about if. I'm going to go to Lynn Human. I like it. I love it. It's original and heartfelt. Ta-da! And the must-see comedy of the summer <laughs> that's perfect for the whole family. It's just so exciting. If. Ready PG. Now playing in theaters. All right. Welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of hoistthecolors.net. Jason Tindall alongside. Jason, I was out at practice today. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Coach Houston always goes through every player during warmups and he, you know, daps them up, gives them fives, all that sort of stuff. He said, Welcome back, 88, to Josiah Hatfield, uh, which put a smile on his face, put a smile on my face, quite honestly, because I love seeing that dude on uh run down the field making big plays. You know, just I guess how do you go about incorporating a guy like him in the offense? We've talked about all the weapons already which makes it tough, but he's probably your best deep threat. So you, you got to get him out there some. And um, I don't know how much they'll show versus Campbell versus maybe later in the season, but uh, what do you think the, the dimension of Josiah Hatfield mean, means for this offense? Yeah, whether they line him up in the slot or out wide at X or Z, I think this is the same theme. He, he literally will make the safety of the nickel nervous really quick because they know if, if he gets to their hip, much like a, a pass rusher, in office line coaches will tell you, once once that edge rusher or that inside rusher is on your hip, you're more or less beat to the quarterback. And the same thing as far as being in coverage. So I feel like we can use Josiah, his talent, his speed to influence what sort of deep shell we're getting in, in the coverage. So whether you're in quarters, you're in uh, – uh, some sort of two, two man or whatever, 
we can move them around and, and then also use them on things like jet sweeps and stuff like that, which we would also want to do with Keaton Mitchell as we get later into the season. But he just adds a different dynamic. And even, you know, even if he doesn't have the most consistent hands, and I, I believe he's worked really hard at that, at, you know, coming out of Southern Alamance and being a quarter high school quarterback, he seems to really be bought into being a receiver. Now he's been at ECU forever, it feels like. It, it's always a threat. And as a defense coordinator now, when I prepare during the week, I've got to spend a certain amount of time saying 88's here, 88's there. We've got to rotate. we got to do this. we got to do that. we got to make sure we get hands on them early so they can get a free release. It just adds a different dynamic to, to plan for. It's almost like having an option team come in and play a little bit. So super excited to have them back. Um, I'll say it here, too. I think it's Bush League, the rule that, that required him to stay out for two weeks. But maybe it's a blessing for us in the long run So and a blessing for him. Yeah, I mean, it allowed well, – we talked about guys like Jalen Johnson, Isaiah Winstead to emerge and get all those snaps. And really, we haven't seen too much receiver rotation at all, Jason, through two games. I mean, Kerry King has been about the only other guy. Um, I think Jarrett Garner came in for one snap, and that's because Isaiah Winstead's helmet fell off against uh, Old Dominion this past weekend. So, you know, it at least gives you another guy to rotate because I think there is a drop off right now after that first line. And the good news is you have so many options, but really curious to see where they have him. I mean, just, you know, not to give anything away, but being out of practice, they've had him lined up in the slot outside. I mean, he's done a little bit of everything. So I think we'll see him do a little bit of everything throughout the year. So really interested to see who uh, or how they prioritize 88 start, starting with this weekend. All right, our next point, Jason, and this one, I, don't, I still don't even know how to answer this question, but I thought it was interesting. Like, you know, you think about it, every great offense kind of has a go-to guy, and we've talked about all these targets. We know Tyler Sneed was the go-to guy. You know, the question I wrote down was, are there any thoughts on who will eventually emerge as a true go-to guy for this offense, or do they even really need one? Do you feel like somebody has to say, hey, on third and five, you know, that's going to be the guy who, who more times than not gets the ball, or, or is that not necessary for this offense to be elite? So when 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 the news broke that Tyler Sneed was going to declare for NFL, and and as a, as a pirate, we all love Tyler Sneed. He he was the ultimate little warrior out there. I mean, tag on the play he made against Navy, the multiple plays against Navy, and talking about the Owen Daffer field goal is all set up by you know execution of that team. But he he made some plays that allow us to get in position. Um, I was with a bunch of buddies who are ECU fans. And I, 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 at that moment, I said, guys, mark it down. We will be better on offense because we'll have to spread the ball around. And this is going to cause uh, Donnie and, uh, you know, uh, Coach Houston to go out and hit the portal and find some guys that can be difference makers because they recognize real quick the safety valve is gone. And um, I think we were all counting on Tyler to come back. I don't think – I think we're going to have a really balanced attack this year. I, I think it's going to be a buffet approach uh, because each week uh, the coordinators are going – you know, it, it is 11-on-11 when Holton is healthy. The coordinators are going to have to pick their poison. And who are you going to bracket? Who are you going to double coverage? Who are you going to try to jam at the line of scrimmage? Somebody else is going to get a cleaner release and they should get open. And from what I can tell so far, we overall look pretty – uh, strong at catching the football. There's a couple guys you mentioned, Kerry King. I'm interested to see what sorts happen in Brock Spalding, and and once Shane Calhoun and 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 Ryan Jones really get loose, 
now it's kind of like, who do you, who do you pick in the past over the years is Blake Prohl. And then it was Tyler Sneed. There was never really a tight end threat. Now it's like, you've got to cover somebody and you got to make sure you take them away. So that opens up a lot of opportunities for, you know, each week, somebody different. I expect CJ Johnson to come back this week, and have a big week just based I mean, on his, his last, you know, his performance last week. I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I was racking through my brain, you know, who's going to be that go-to guy. And I think it, I think it just depends on the matchups. Like I think it's now at the point where you have, four to five really good options that you don't need a go-to guy. And like you said, I think that helps Holt Nailers. I think he and now instead of saying, hey, it's third and four, I'm likely going to try to go to Snead here. Now he's surveying the field. He's saying, what's the best matchup? Because I think he now trusts all those guys uh, based on the, the way he spread the targets around. So now it comes down to matchups. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see as the season goes along you know, does eventually a guy just take that role or is it going to stay this way all season? I kind of lean towards the latter just based on how it's played out thus far. But again, early sample size, we'll see how it plays out. Next point, we switch to the defensive side of the ball. ECU still being aggressive defensively under third-year defensive coordinator Blake Carroll, but there has been noticeably less blitzing. I think they came after the ODU quarterback 30 five-ish percent of the time. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but somewhere in the 30s. Still a pretty high percentage, but nowhere near the 50% Blake Carroll used to bring it at. Uh, your thoughts on that? And, you know, we kind of talked about they needed to maybe go away from just absolutely bringing the house every other third down. And that is something Blake Carroll's done. I think a lot of that has to do with the development of his players. Yeah. It, it, if you, you know, if you just break it down to basics, we just have more dogs out there right now. We have more dudes. Um, he can he can line up and in, 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 in zone or you know you know loose through coverage and not have to bring somebody and still get pressure. It was super awesome to see Shondre Mims break loose the other night. He adds a different dimension to a pass rush. Just an older guy who's been doing it for a long time and understands how to beat the the one on ones. And and if we can get more of that from the front four and just keep beating the same drum we're going to be nasty on defense. Uh, and it's not just backed up defense. It's also, we've been pretty good in the red zone. I think, you know, teams are three for five in the red zone, like 60%. And we're, we're sitting there right now, offensively right at 90% in the red zone as far as scores. But a lot of that is based on, it's such hard work to get there. And just our relentlessness. If you look at T and Will uh, Wood, Jarrah Wilson, Gerard Stringer's playing at an elite level right now, in my opinion. Now, I don't have the film to break it down with the coaches and stuff. And then somebody who's really creeped around this year that has impressed me and is a true program player is so far in, in an elite game against a high-end top 15-ranked team and then a team who obviously has elite, uh, you know, great talent um, in ODU and NC State, but uh, Miles Berry's playing pretty well as well. I mean, he he just looks like he he's been there forever, and that's just the result I think of him sticking around the program. But you know, I think Coach Harrell realized we don't have to allow the other team's pet band to play every time they drop back for third and long. We can sit back in coverage, but also get some people up front. If Coach Dallas can keep you know developing those, those edge rushers as the season goes on, and Jeremy Lewis finds his niche, Chad Stevens finds his niche. 
Jack Powers finds his niche and we can get some push up front from the young guys that we still have up there and including Chandre. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. They just, they can just clean up some of those uh, zone coverage busts they had against ODU. That that was really, and they played a, a decent amount of coverage versus ODU. And at times they got home with three or four, you know, three of the four sacks came when they did not blitz, which kind of shows you the progression there. And it's not like the guy was back there to throw forever. So now I think it's just cleaning up some of those other coverage uh, issues, and, and that's something that they can learn from coming off a win. Got a couple more minutes with you, Jason. Um, let's take a brief look at Campbell, and you know I'll, I'll dive late, more into him later in the week. But you know FCS team, they'll be clear underdogs. We saw last year against Charleston Southern. That doesn't mean anything if you don't show up. The thing that scares me about this game is Campbell's got some guys. Hodge Malik Williams, their quarterback, is a playmaker. And if ECU takes them lightly, you know, this could be a, a closer game than most are calling for. But any early thoughts on this matchup as we sit here on Tuesday night? Well, the the first uh, barometer for me is uh, when, when I go to your website and start reading the boards and people are saying, hey, we should start this guy at quarterback. We should, we should be getting the second team people in in the second quarter. So I'm thinking – you know, guys, I, I don't want to say anything on there because it, it's egotistical sounding, but this game scares the hell out of me. It really does because we played a top 13 team. We played well against them. We should have won the game. We're a better team than them. We, we beat ODU, who just beat Virginia Tech. They'll probably beat Virginia in Charlottesville this weekend. And it, like Coach Houston saying, everybody's patting them on the back again. Everybody's doing this. Everybody's doing that. It's Campbell. We should get the backups in. If we don't go out there and just lay the hammer down on them, it's going to be like me last year. When when that when that uh, catastrophe was happening with Charleston Southern, I got out of my seats and just started walking laps around the stadium because I, I was like superstition kicked in. And, and, and you know, it's, it's going to be a waste of a night. Whether you win or not, it's a waste of a night. And um, they scare me. Their defensive end is legit NFL kid. They've got a, they've got a couple guys on defense who are just straight up dudes. That quarterback, if he's hot and starts running around and we don't do a better job of keeping him in contain, we're in trouble quick. And when well, all of a sudden you've got guys breaking off coverage coming up to fill the alley in the run game and you don't realize he's still behind the sticks and he throws one over your top, next thing you know is a cheap touchdown and they get super excited. Um, I never thought I'd say that about Campbell University, though, but it, it is. It scares the hell out of me. Any ECU game against Campbell, I've uh, I've never seen him football, but any ECU baseball, any ECU basketball game against Campbell is usually a dogfight. I don't know what to expect Saturday. Uh, I do know being out of practice that I feel like the coaching staff is approaching this one the right way, and now it's up to the players. They've got to answer the call because all I remember last year is, man, Charleston Southern got up 14 nothing in the blink of an eye. And it was a dogfight from there. So the start of this game will be key. Well, Jason, uh, my Zoom is is now under a minute. I'm running out of time. So I got to gotta let you go before we abruptly get kicked off. But I appreciate the time, man. And we look forward to to having you back on uh, later this season, probably in a couple weeks for sure. And I uh, always appreciate your insight. Go Pirates. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That is Jason Tindall, and that is the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll be back with you guys later this week for a final preview and prediction of the Campbell game.
Sunday after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.